Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon. I'm here with my friend, the esteemed John Kaplan, also Johnny known Mac. as Cap. Johnny Mac, how, how are you, buddy? Good, good buddy. Cap. We got a very special guest today. She's currently the CMO of Trip Actions, leading corporate travel and expense management platform, which we definitely want to talk about. Prior to Trip, Trip Actions, she spent 20 years in software and previously was also the CMO of MongoDB and VP of Demand Generation at DocuSign. Currently, she's also an advisor to Loom, Stira, Product Bands, Indesco, and Vectorized.io and a board member at Terminus and G2. I don't know how she keeps all these balls in the air. And with the many positions that she's had, she's posted 17 successful exits since 2011, including three IPOs, 14 mergers and acquisitions. Please help me welcome the super talented Megan Eisenberg. Megan, Megan, how are you? Uh, It's great to see you again. Uh, 17 successful ag- exits since 2011. You're not, you're not old enough for that. I That's am. Unbelievable. I am old enough. <laughs> Thank you it's for having me. Great to yeah. see you again. Megan, so you're in, you're in Dublin now? Still doing I am. Some I'm visiting our SDR team. Okay. Okay. That comes under, under marketing at, at Trip Actions. As of two weeks ago, it does. Yes, oh, I just took on right. the SDR team and I'll be growing it from 47 to 125 in the next two quarters. So wow, we're all in be Dublin busy. or all in Dublin? Uh, Dublin, Austin, uh, Berlin, and we have uh, some in New York and uh, the Bay Area. Oh, wow. So you're really doing traveling. Yes. Yeah, I've been, I was in Austin last week. And I'll be headed to Berlin and uh, New York in the next two weeks. Incredible. So, Megan, the, the pandemic had to have thrown a huge curveball to you at Trip Action and to you, to you and being the CMO at Trip Actions, you know, trying to market a travel software and expense company during a, you know, COVID-19. Can you talk a little bit about how you, maybe the company or your market, marketing organization had to maneuver through that? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a better time to be at Interfactions now than two years ago, I will say. Um, You know, we went into crisis mode and, you know, very much kind of a wartime mentality. We we downsized the company pretty dramatically. Our revenues dropped 95%. Inbound became non-existent. And so, uh, yeah, and I just, I remember seeing this Latin proverb, if there's no wind, row. So I was like, we need to row. And what that meant as a company, we, we really focused on th- three things. One, our customers. We had to make sure we had product market fit for the new, new world of what was happening during COVID and what would post-COVID mean. 
we had to focus on the employees that were still with us and tend to, you know, here they were working from home, taking care of homeschooling and at a travel company as our core. And then the third, third thing we had to conserve cash. I remember my dad slacked me and said, or not slacked me, he texted me and just said, love cash more than your mother. And, uh, <laughs> smart man smart yeah man. in fairness they're divorced but um i just i really thought about that okay i get it we we need to be really smart and focused and so immediately we did daily stand-ups what were we focused on what did we need to do uh the the engineering team started building covid dashboards travel reports. We had to get a bunch of people home because the world started to shut down. So we need to give mm. visibility to our customers. And then as engineering built things over the weekend, we had to take it to market. And then we also had to really revamp everything. Our messaging went from the best experience in business travel, which was not the case. Nobody was having a good experience. Uh, right. They're trying to get home to travel safety control, you know, mm. cost control, and um, really pivoted everything. So we took five days to rewrite our entire website, all our outreach cadences, our entire, all our sales decks for enterprise, you know, mid-market, corporate, everything had to be rewritten, um, which, and with a streamlined team who had just gone through layoffs. So it was a heck of a time. I think we focused on the right things. We had very strong leadership. I had a very strong partner with Carlos. Um, the other thing that I think, the other two things that we did is we went up market because big companies have RFPs, are still traveling, are still, you know, they see a world. They know there's a world after this. And so we took it up market and we doubled down on our liquid product, which had launched February, 2020. And what was that? And, what product is that? Yeah, so that's our corporate cards and expense management. Mm. And people still had to, now they had to buy home office equipment. So mm. they might not be expensing travel, which tends to be 70% of your T&E, uh, but they were expensing software, a ton of software, right? Software, you know, tech went up uh, because a lot of people had to uh, shift to online. And so they could use our, our system to do their expenses and all that. So we doubled down on that product and that started to grow pretty fast. So Megan, you know, you had to take this organization, you had to basically cut a bunch of people to save cash, kind of keep yeah. the thing alive. And then you had to like, you know, remake the organization. Yes. So as a leader, you had to probably, and now people are all working remote. Yes. So as a leader, that was a big challenge in trying to keep people motivated because they probably thought, hey, this is a travel and expense company. This thing looks like it's never going to end. This thing could go on for years, which it did go on for a couple of years. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about some of those leadership challenges that you had, especially on the people side? Yeah, I mean, so certainly the the hardest thing I've ever had to do is lay off half my team. So 23 people that, by the way, the year before I had just doubled my team. So mm -hmm. you have people who are left behind feel guilty. And these were rock stars. I had hired great people. I'm sure. And so I'm sure. you had to shore up the people who are at home. Part of that was just constant communication. Yes, we went remote, but I, I, had, I checked in with my leads in the morning. And then I checked in with the entire team in the evening, just 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Where are we at? What are we focused on? What are the issues? Uh, and then I did weekly outdoor walks. 
And what did that mean? I, we, we took Zoom walks. So you, if you couldn't, if you're in New York, you can get outside your apartment. Can you get on a landing? Can you walk around the block? Anyone not, you know, that had a yard, go out in yard, just get people outside. I just kept thinking uh, you need sunshine, you uh, need to see people. And so that was a weekly thing we were doing. And then we kicked off happy hours on Zoom, bring drinks. You know, I was trying to recreate water cooler talk camaraderie. I don't think there's loyalty online. I think that's why right now people are poachable. You, if you haven't had your people in the office and meeting there's, if you, you get hired by someone you've never met, do you feel as loyal to those that you see in the office every day? And so I just thought it was really important to check in with people, get them outside and make sure we're making progress against what we needed to, uh, to do. And then we started doing goofy things on our company. All hands is every week. You know, we went and got llamas and, you know, just the things to kind of live in. We got, I mean, we dressed up in weird clothes. We're just trying to just check in with people and show a human side. And um, yeah, it was a lot. And it's interesting now having down, you know, brought everything down. This past year, I hired 35 people. I was just going to ask that. So did you go back out and hire some of the same people too? Uh, one or two, but you know, you don't go back to your ex-boyfriend. So, <laughs> you know, tech's hiring, there's plenty of great jobs. And so most people had already gotten a job already. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, your chances of bringing them back are, are less, but there's plenty of good talent. So, you know, I went out and you, you, you know, there is a world where TE exists, travel's coming back, but you need to know why you joined the company and why you stayed at the company. Cause you're giving that, you know, you're telling that every time you meet with someone and they need to feel, you know, why, why you're there. Certainly I could go anywhere and do anything, but why am I staying? What's, what's the hook? Right. right. Cause they're always questioning that. Right. Yes. And as you, as, as a leader, you got to stay, stay strong and keep the, uh, the boat pointed in the right direction. So it must have helped when you brought on this other, um, I can't remember the name of the product, the one with the, for the liquid parts. liquid, yes. liquid. That must've really helped. Cause then they probably, people probably saw a new win. Maybe you were starting to hire again. And, and as a leader, you're always trying to get some wins so that it's not just you talking every day or dressing up, you know, in yes. a different suit or bring the llamas <laughs> to work, right? Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. There's actually something some, real here. Something there's a business here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, you're it's it's getting the results and then culture. Uh, but yes, I mean, liquid also fintech's hot, right? People want to be in the fintech world. We're competing against, you know, not only the the legacy players like Concur and Expensify, but you're there with Brex and Ramp. And mm. so, uh, you know, also fighting for that talent's hard because, those, you know, a lot of people are hiring in that space. Um, but we, you know, you have to know your positioning and differentiation, just like you do with selling out in the market. Why are you going to win? Why are you going to take the market? Why are you different than everyone else? Uh, and have that conviction and proof. Yeah. Uh, hey, Johnny. Yes. Hey, Johnny, I want to uh, just give Megan and the Trip Actions leadership team incredible kudos. I think it's one of the single most courageous acts that I ever saw. Um, The first, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Johnny, we watched our entire backlog disappear at force management in one day, our entire backlog disappeared. And the first prospect that called us, we didn't call them was trip actions. And when my team told me, 
that Carlos and team called us to talk about, you know, doing a program at Trip Actions, I actually kind of uh, um, not giggled, but I, I don't know if it was nervous laughter or whatever. I'm like, I mean, I, I know we're struggling, but they got to be struggling, like, you know. But I will tell you, Megan, what I found with our customers during those times there were customers that hid in a cave. And this is what I actually think we did a podcast about it. Maybe I'll share that with our, we'll share that link because I spoke about your company. I noticed that some, everybody's boat went down at the same time around the world. It's one of those rare times in the world where everybody's boat in the harbor goes down, but not everybody's boat rose at the same time. And I was just really, really impressed at the way your answer was, it's now time to get close to our customers and liquid and things like that, that, that came to the top. Uh, you guys didn't go into a cave. You said now more than ever, it's time for us to get close to our customers and find out what they're going to deal. They're gotta, they have to deal with challenges. And could you kind of walk us through your role as the CMO? There's gotta be, there's gotta be so much chaos going on. And then some voice says, Let's go find out how our customers are doing. I just, I really give you guys tons of kudos. Walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, we we were very, we decided we're, we're targeting enterprise. We're going up market. Uh, we actually, in 2020, we grew 75% year over year. Yeah. Now we had come off of growing 500% year over year and we, our original plan was 400%. So nobody was happy with 75% year over year, but uh, it's what allowed us to come out of this. We have much more market share now. And now in the last couple of months that travel's taken off, it's positioned us very well in the market. You know, back then I, I, we were focused, you know, we, we knew what we had to do. We, we had to create a sense of urgency. As I said, inbound dried up. Nobody was looking for travel solutions. In fact, the first thing was, are you kidding me? We're in a pandemic. Why are you trying right. to, you know, why are you trying to sell this? So yeah. we, we yeah. got very smart on our messaging. And actually, the time there's no better time than now. You know, if you think about replatforming or the switching costs, now's the time to do it. So as you you know, there's going to be a world where you travel again, let's mm. switch it out now. And so we had to be smart about that pitch. The, the decks had to be revamped. Uh, you guys came in and really taught us the command of message and the value prop and, and understanding the customer's pain. It had changed momentarily, but what, what was going to bring them in? And then with Liquid, you know, let, you know, they, they of course are going to be doing expense management. You're still spending money. You're buying stuff. Marketing has a huge spend, uh, certainly software spend and all the other things you need to support your employees. And so we just focused on what the customers needed and we spent a lot of, you know, a lot of time with them and um, yeah, just that so, was. So Megan, we collaborated with you and you were actually our first virtual delivery in 20, I remember, 21 I years I online. Yes. And I will tell you, it changed our company's life. I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to say how much we appreciate you. We'll never forget it. Thank you. So, we appreciate hey, Megan, um, you know, when you look back on, you were growing your organization, you doubled it. You probably were going to double it again the next year. And yeah. marketing, in my opinion, just watching it over the, even the last 10 years, it's just gotten 
so broad and there's so many different like disciplines to marketing and so many hundreds of tools that people are peddling to the, someone like you, the CMO. Can you walk people through as far as like, what's the biggest changes you've seen in marketing? And then maybe yeah, I mean, even when you had to break down to go back down to 23 people and only certain, you know, disciplines in marketing that you knew this is the core. And from here we can grow, but these, these are the core items we have to have in marketing. Can you walk through some of some of that? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely tech has gotten more and more important. A decade ago, I had 10 marketing technologies. Then, you know, DocuSign, I had 20, MongoDB, 30. Now I'm <laughs> over 45. So tech has become much more part of it. A lot more looking at the data. You can get a lot more attribution. You're, you're much more technically focused and your team's much more technical. You know, we have web developers, full stack developers, front end, UX, data analysts, uh, and, and integration, you're not depending on IT. You've got to own your software within your house and have that talent. Otherwise, it just takes too long. It costs too much if you have to if to, you have to go outside for it. So certainly that's changed. I would say when COVID hit, when I had to downsize, it, you know, some of the easier things, we weren't running events. So the cuts were going to hit on the event side. Um, we I was heavy on content because I just knew I needed to... I needed to change. One, we're going to rewrite all the content, but two, I wanted to be a thought leader. This was a time to build brand with our customers and what are they going to need in the next year or two? And all our, originally we were targeting the travel manager, but they all got furloughed. So now we need to switch and which was a much smarter thing to do is target the CFO who manages travel under procurement typically and finance and accounting. So we need to switch. We need to redefine our ICP, the right customer profile to go after. And I needed product marketers. And I just thought I'm going to go heavy on product marketers content. We're going to build academies. So when the travel manager gets their job back, there's going to be a new world. We're going to train them on that new world and what software they need and what they need to know to to control costs and safety for their employees. So in, in five weeks, we built out 20 courses for travel managers. And then we built out the next five weeks, 20 more courses for finance and how they should be managing expenses. Uh, and we went heavy after we set up every week, we had uh, office hours with CFOs and we still have them. It was once a week because they're all trying to figure out how do I budget in this world? How do I, I have all these offices. What am I doing with my leases? And they wanted to talk to other CFOs who we wanted. We didn't allow media on. We allowed sales to listen, but not talk. And so we brought all our customer CFOs and then invited a bunch of others and didn't record it. And um, beyond what we needed to share with, with sales and we didn't allow them to go in and poach them. But as you naturally came in to share with your colleagues, our brand went with them, right? So right. they had trip actions. They heard about it. They heard, and, and of course our customers would say, oh, and we're using trip actions to, for, you know, look at this and to forecast and to, so you get in there. And then over time, more of those prospects became customers. And so we just started to create any content we could to bring in the, the CFO, the, the controller. And so that helped a lot. Um, and most of our, the other thing that, that was in our favor is we had taken a lot of uh, funding. And so we had, you know, three or 400 million in the bank, which was great. 
Um, we still brought our burn down because it doesn't help if you, you know, spend all that and you can't get more. Right. Um, but a lot of our, um, a lot of the smaller players hadn't taken cash, went out of business. So we've bought some, the bigger players bought some, or they just plain went out of business. So it took that group out. And then the, the larger players fired everyone in marketing, mm. streamlined sales, furloughed a bunch of people. They had no revenue coming in and they were encumbered by, you know, lots of offices, real estate, outdated technology, you know, perfect for disruption because wow. they now they're not building product, they're not marketing it. So I didn't have to spend as much in the market. And when I did spend money, I got more attention because nobody was out there. Right. You just you could get more of it for a lot less. And my budget dropped, you know, it dropped in half as well. Not only did I have half as many people, I'd had half as much um, budget. And most of that was taken up because we had locked in airport ads for two years, right? So if you think about that, you've got airport ads, but we, well, we, we actually had them locked in for a year, which we negotiated because we said, you're not delivering the eyeballs. So you're going to give me more time, which now this year has been beneficial because people okay. are back in the airports. But I just remember that wasn't I don't have a total budget wasn't in a total half waste. and it's already locked in. And then everyone who you had events with wouldn't give you your money back. They said, no, no, but we're going to credit right. you next year. So yeah. that budget, so like half of the half of the budget is already pretty much useless. Um, so I was, I'm going to be, be creating content. I'm going to compel you to come to me on things that don't cost me a lot of money. And so it was that thought leadership. And they also say, I thought recession was going to depression. People go back to school during recessions and depression and community colleges get really big, full of people trying to reinvent themselves for the new world that they're coming back into. And so I just thought we needed to do education academy and all of that wow it really speaks to your leadership to be able to do all that work or basically rebrand the company introduce new products do academies and do all that with less budget um and keep all amazing the people. i mean unbelievable task that you just went through unreal and then you know going back to all the different marketing tools because i just see all a plethora of marketing tools coming at the cmo and like you said you do have a lot more marketing tools but even though some things change, a lot of times things stay the same. And a lot of people ask me on the sales front, you know, John, what do you think is the most productive sales tool? I go, and they're looking for some sort of like sales tools that are software. I go, the telephone. You know? <laughs> Fair enough, yes. <laughs> so as much as things have changed, some things have stayed the same. Is that the, do you feel like that's kind of the same, you know, in marketing? You did talk a little bit about how, you know, you can get a lot more data so you can like self-direct a lot quicker, but are there some tools or some, you don't have to name them, but some things that you feel, Hey, they, they just stay the same. They're fundamental. I mean, for the last decade, I've always gone into Salesforce and looked at dashboards, reports, conversion rates. There's many more things in there for, for, from a management standpoint, I want to know what's attribution, but Salesforce now has, 10 of the tools bolt into Salesforce, mm. like a lean data and, and these other things that clean the tools that give you more information. So certainly that um, as a CMO, I'm looking at a lot of stuff in Tableau now, any of these you know, data tools that are allowing me to um, better understand what's happening. From a marketing standpoint, you're, you know, we have Marketo and Eloqua. We have Marketo for our sales marketing database for prospects. And we have Eloqua for our customers, our travelers, because I don't want travelers to be in the database. Sales doesn't want to talk to the end traveler, right? So we, we have those separated. 
Um, but there's always a marketing automation platform. And then anymore, it's all the ABM tools. Of course, I'm a fan of, of Terminus, but you've got your chat tools, your web optimization tools, design and how things look matter. You've got many more social media. A lot more is on social right, media than, right. than you know a decade ago. Um, so all of that is are, are the things that we're, we're looking at. And depending on what I'm trying to optimize, all the channels have their own you know, thing in it. I'm, I'm less into the automation platforms because now the ops team handles that. When I ran demand gen, I was in Eloqua every day and looking at that stuff. Now I'm more looking at the higher level reports and asking questions. And, you know, we do QBRs and marketing as well. We're, we're looking at what worked, what didn't work, low lights, what were our learnings, what's coming the next six months, performance uh, on the teams, stuff like that to, to manage it. When salespeople are trying to sell a marketing tool to a CMO, do they typically go to an operations person first that you have that's responsible for bringing in new tools, or do they go to the leaders of the different disciplines? Is what is that a power outage? What's going on? No, Megan, that ain't going to phase you. Oh, that's not going to phase you unless the place is blowing up. I'm not worried about you. (laughs) No, no, sorry, the the lights go out ever so often. You know, I still think a lot. I, I get hit up a lot. And um, I mean, I'm sure people on my team get it as well, but you know, the smartest reps come in through someone I know. Yeah. If if someone comes to me and says, John McMahon recommended that you look at this product or that I meet with you, I meet with them. If it's just an inbound and it's sort of some cheesy little weird thing, then I ignore it. (laughs) So I think the social side of it, I'll talk to people that know people I know for sure. Uh, or if it's not someone I know, but it piques my interest, I will then send it to the person they should evaluate with. Or if I know, let's say you've asked me to meet with someone or someone's asking me, I'll meet with them, but I'll pull in the right person as well. So as a courtesy to my relationship, I'm on there, but I don't want to have to go through the work to have them re-demo to someone else on my team when I really know that's the person that I want to be the champion. I'm not going to be your champion. I want to find the person that's going to say, yes, I'm going to own this. I'm going to implement it. I'm going to tell you the ROI on it and I'm going to maintain it because that's not going to be me. Um, so I want to get you in front of that person as soon right. as Right. So for all the salespeople out there that are listening, when you want to get to the economic buyer like a Megan, you have to have a champion because Megan also needs a champion that she's going to hold responsible for the implementation and success of the product. So... Yeah, thanks for that. Hey, Megan, switching gears just a little bit. PLG, man, I hear this term thrown around loosely by so many different people. And when I ask people, you know, what do you mean by PLG? I get all these different definitions. When I've looked it up, you know, PLG means the ability to sell, you know, upsell, cross-sell, support, renew, all of that. And so far, nobody has that. That's a dream. And maybe someday that's going to happen. But can you talk a little bit about how you see PLG in, you know, in the useful sense today and you yeah, know, how so it might change in thinking, the future? Yeah. And you're thinking product led growth. Yes. Um, I think Nirvana, if, if you're, if you have a large addressable market and you have a product that scales and has good product market fit, you need both. It's a great yeah. way to enter. I think product led, you know, you get self-serve. We launched self-serve two weeks ago, okay. but self-serve is not going to serve enterprise. Self-serve is not going to serve mid-market. It's not going to serve commercial. It's going to get the earlier stages in to learn. You're going to grow with it. It's going to give you volume. 
So you're going to see a lot of just volume. It's good. There may be some things you have to sales assist with um, as you get that that motion going. It could but help with I, demand I, gen too. Is what? Could it help with demand generation? For because sure. Because they buy, come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If the product's doing its job, it's going to ask for segment size as they're onboarding. And if it's a certain size, it's going to say, here, I'm going to set you up with a meeting. You know, use Chili Piper or something, get on the on, on the calendar with the SDR or with the, the rep because you're at a size that you should be working with the rep. So, yes, it, I think um, those together make a lot of sense. It, re, you know, it reduces the barrier of entry. You know, there's nothing like competing against a competitor that has self-serve and can get them started in 24 hours. And you're, oh, you have to set up a meeting. Then you have to show a demo. You have to qualify. And that segment is so small. They don't need that. So now you're losing, you know, one of the, I think our early success here was we had a lot of SMB small, like Rivian was a small account. Now it's massive, right? right? We right. were with them. And so you want to get the Rivians of the world um, when you're, when you're, when you're bringing these in. So I think you want both, like ideally you, you want that. I think MongoDB, we were there in enterprise, but with Atlas, right. Database as a service, self-serve direct to develop developer, brilliant, right. That's a much more efficient way to do it, but you don't want to let the market go to someone else on the mid market or enterprise side. You, you want what both. advice do you give Megan? Um, I, we talk to a lot of technical founders and I see some, some difficult decisions that are made when somebody's pushing product led growth and their definition feels like to me, product led growth is less expenses on direct salespeople and the product sells itself. I see people get into really big trouble when they don't take a step back and really think about the journey. I love listening to the way you guys did it at MongoDB. It's like, what is our ideal customer profile and how will it mature and how will it uh, evolve? Could you just give the listeners some advice if you are hearing product-led growth and think about it from sellers that are thinking about, do I go to a product-led growth company when it feels like uh, they're minimizing the number of direct touches that they have. How do I know the technical founder gets it? Like, is there some top level advice for product led growth? Yeah. I mean, my, I have two thoughts on, first of all, I would go for product market fit, which is slightly different, but it's do the customers love the product? Uh, you know, do, what's their NPS score? What's their customer sat? You know, I look at MongoDB developers love the product. When I was evaluating and I started talking to people about MongoDB, I kept thinking, oh, we love it. We love it. It's awesome yeah. product. Trip action, same thing. When I started talking to people, oh, they had high NPS, high um, customer sat, DocuSign, you know, similar things. Like you want product market fit. And maybe that's because it was led through product. They built a great product. Yeah. Um, and, but if you balance it, you still have to fight in the markets for the larger players. I think mid-market enterprise, they don't typically just go on and buy something. You might get departments that do tools on their own, but if you're selling to the entire company, uh, I I think you need the value. You're you're fighting, as you go up market, they usually have a solution in place that you have to displace. And that takes art of someone who gets command of the message and the value prop, figuring out the pain, why are they unhappy with their solution? So kind of that's my thought on product market fit. What I noticed uh, at MongoDB, I worked for a, uh, yes, Dave had been a founder, but he was brought in as an operator 
And he has the go-to-market excellence. Like he brought go-to-market. He brought all the leaders in that know how to take a market and take out a legacy player. And I am now at Trip Actions with the founder, one of the the original co-founder, who is a product like upbringing product. And it's interesting to watch two different CEOs, one where you came through product and one where you came through. And I think they both bias one way or the other. Mm. And, and so if you're joining a company, I, I think the C, you know, when you're, when you come through the product route, I think that you, you hate paying for salespeople's salaries, right? Yeah. You're like, damn it, Everybody's my product is amazing. Yeah. I, I built this amazing product. I do not want to have to pay someone. So yeah, it's a dream if you don't have to, it's huge overhead to have a sales team. But it depends the market you're going after. It depends the competitors in the space, the, you know, all of that matters. And so I think that's why Nirvana is both of these together. You want the ability to self-serve and get the low end of the market, but you get big money in the mid-market and upper side of it. So don't leave that on the table either. Develop both. And it's going to be a lot easier to sell if it's an amazing product and has product market fit. And you're not going to get product-led growth without product market fit. So that's why I think the, the thing that brings them together is that. Fantastic. So, and Megan, um, when you think about how the world, and I don't know if you're seeing this at Trip Actions, but I'm seeing it with some companies that I'm advising or on the board of is we used to sell perpetual licenses, you know, and then you had an opportunity to fix the customer problems like within a pretty long period of time, you know, and now the world, then the world moved to subscription licenses, annual subscriptions. And you basically had a year to fix the customer's problem. Now you're seeing the world moving towards consumption where not only would might they, on one hand, consumption-based companies might take a, an order for an annual buy and then burn down credits. But now I'm seeing more and more companies sell consumption, meaning almost like self-service. They're saying, you use the product, we'll bill you in arrears every 30 days. And as you burn down you know, usage, and that's really changed where now customers have to be supported almost on a daily basis by, by like a concierge service to make sure that Anything that customers doing, you know, they're on top of it. And I don't know if you're starting to see demand on trip actions for consumption-based, you know, pricing. And if you are, could you talk through it? If you're not seeing it, well, you know, I'll ask you a different question. No, I think it's a great question. I actually think it's very healthy. Um, the change is healthy in that it's better for your customers because they're paying for what they're using. And I think it's better for revenue. Um, and but the important part to be successful, I, I think, is tying it to how you sell uh, and bookings for us. Bookings matter. Right. We make money when you book, not when you just buy our software. And, and sure, you may you will pay for a license um, and you will pay for um, you know usage depending on the size of it. But we comp our reps on consumption and bookings. And you, you don't want to, I mean, no rep, all, if you're a sales rep, you also want to sell something nobody's going to use. So go find the, the, the companies that are going to use the product, that consume it. Um, and it, it's, you know, if, you, if, if part of your, your package is based on their consumption, it's better for everyone. 
Uh, and so, but that does keep the salesperson involved to make sure implementation goes well. Right. The customers know how to use it. They work with the account managers. Um, they've sold the right thing up front, right? You don't want to sell something that you can't deliver on or that they're not going to use. And so I think it kind of aligns all of that. Um, there is a bit, I would say there's a delay because you don't know until consumption starts happening. Right. But um, I think it it will make everything better for the customer and for your business because the revenue will come with that. But you're right. It's a, it's a shift. And have how you, you seen, how do you map that marketing in a, in a, in a, in any type of way on the way that you have to approach a consumption based customer? Wait, say, say the beginning of the question. Just has it affected the marketing department, you know, in the way in which you want to approach or speak to, you know, a consumption based customer. You know, there are some things we want to do to educate up front. And here's an example on the liquid side. So we have smart cards. The policy is built in the card. So I actually can't spend something I'm not approved to spend. It will literally flash up and say that, you know, you're trying to buy, maybe you can't buy alcohol. You're trying to buy alcohol. Hey, you're trying to buy alcohol. You can't buy it. Or you, anything over $75, you have to submit a receipt. Or we can turn the cards on and off only when you're on a business trip. So we, we go through all of this. CFOs love this idea. We load them up and then we send them the email to deploy the cards out to all their employees. And they're like, no, 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 no. Don't give cards to my employees. Wait, what are you talking about? I would never do that. And I was like, wait, back up. The policies in the card, they can't right. spend on anything that you have. That's not part of it. It's perfectly safe to give them a card. In fact, it's safer than having them use their own card and try and expense it. Sure. But if I don't educate them up front, there's now that's a snag in the implementation process because the CFO doesn't want to give the cards out, which means we're not going to get consumption. And so now I've got to say, okay, without creating friction, I need to educate the market of CFOs. Actually, there's a new way to do this business. It's a smart card. And if you get real-time visibility and you can see reports and you can block it before the spend happens. And so it's a shift in mind because they've not had it before. So that has certainly those, that type of feedback as we're trying to implement uh, matters a lot. Yeah, so you have to have the feedback. content to educate, sorry, Johnny. So you have to have the content to educate the customer on the fact that they can build their own policies and spend policies into each individual card. And probably yes. it changes as, you know, based upon your title and where you live and how much you're Seniority, traveling yes. and all those things. Yeah. All of that, all of that's in there and what you can spend. I mean, these cards are so smart. You can say what's the average price at that particular restaurant and allow them to spend 30% over per person. It brings wow. in the calendar and divides it by the number of people that are in there and automatically expenses it. Like the, what you can do with these cards is incredible. I haven't done a good enough job to educate the market of all the things you can do because right. when they see it in action, there's this like wow moment, but it's, it's, it's how do I get in front of them to give them the wow moment? Megan, how do you do that? What's the advice? Because what I'm hearing you say is as your customers consume your products and services, you're learning. And as you're learning, I'm wondering if there's things that you can do to accelerate, like your, how do you map what you sell and how you sell it and how you market to them based upon how they buy? So a lot of companies will tell me, this is how we want to sell. And this is, and I'm always asking in the back of my mind, well, how does your customer buy it? Or how do they consume it? What process or advice do you have that might, that could accelerate that process instead of finding, it, finding out in the end, these are the five things we could have done. 
if we focus on how they buy it or how they intend to buy it or how they intend to consume it, therein lies our area of opportunity to sell it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point is talking to the customer. Every time you get someone understanding what they bought it, you know, if you, if you have a good product marketing team and a good feedback loop from sales, you're understanding why they, why they bought, what was the thing that was key for them and then taking that and making sure the rest of the organization knows it and you're enabling the organization on that. But I, I think the only way you do it is you're talking with the buyer. And really, you know, there's like, I think there's eight questions. And by the time you hit the fifth question, you pretty much know, and you can talk to five people. And all of a sudden you get that, you get to the reason of of why it doesn't take as long as you think, uh, unless you only have five customers, because sometimes what's the reason people are going to use your product, you know, when you have a hundred customers, it's so different than the first five, but as you're getting more customers, you start to really hone in the value. Product. And how do you get that loop back to you? Cause like sometimes there's this divide between sales and marketing and, you know, you talk about a loop and sometimes that's not a loop. It's a gap. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the mentality of your leaders. If your CMO and CRO are not working together and communicating fire one of them or both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like that if they're, because everyone below follows the leader. And so when they see you getting, getting together and giving feedback, I mean, Carlos was a great partner because he always gave feedback, tough, bad, good, no matter what. I always knew I would understand the issue. Yeah. And that is what you, what you need. I don't, I don't need to hear all the great things that are going well. I need to hear what's not working and that, you know, he, that radical candor side of it, you know, is what allows you to work together. I also think the mindset of the CMO is that sales is your internal customer. They're your partner and you know marketing, but you need to, you need to hear they're out there fighting every day. Their job's much harder. Just have the CMO sit in one QBR and you'll have mad respect for being a salesperson because yes. they're only as good as what they're delivering that week, month, quarter, their job's really hard. And I try to explain that to the marketing team, like spend one day in sales, you'll really appreciate being in marketing um, because they're just such different levels of stress. And, um, and that, you know, you just, you have to have respect for, for what they're doing and what they're facing. And I think you can, the feedback, it's going to come in a rough form maybe, but strip out the stuff you need. Forget all the other stuff that comes with it, but what what is actionable out of what they're saying? And, you know, once you get a second person saying the same thing, there's probably some truth there. Mm-hmm. You can deny, 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 but if the second person and the third person gives you the same feedback, you probably have a problem. Excellent advice. So, Megan, you know, you talked about being a leader at Trip Actions and some of the challenges you just went through throughout the pandemic. And then you talked about some of the tools and the plethora of tools and how they changed. But just from a general marketing leadership standpoint, can you talk a little bit about maybe one or two of the biggest challenges that you felt like you've always faced over the last like 10 years that you were like, ah, you know, this is a dynamic space. It's constantly changing. What is that really? How's that maybe changed you? Or what has that made you think about how you need to change as a leader, you know, more from a leadership perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think hiring is key across all of, the, of, of these. And that as I've switched domains, because DocuSign is a very different buyer than MongoDB, which is very different than 
um, trip actions. So a lot of it was understanding the buyer and the domain. You know, as a CMO, you have to hire well in product marketing if you don't come from that domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you you need you also need to hire your weakness. Not one person is amazing at demand gen, brand, and corporate marketing and right. product marketing. And so you've right. you know key to being successful is hiring. And then it's not as you go through the stages. What I needed my first year is so different than what I need on the team my third year. Mm-hmm. As you get closer to going public, you're bringing in. Someone who, you know, you, if you want to stay with the company, you need to keep bringing in the folks that will help you, you go there and um, you need to be learning and networking. And um, so definitely just a lot of learnings as companies go through the stages, but most of it comes down to hiring. And if I haven't hired well, I know because I'm spending too much time or I'm hearing about it too much from the CEO. I know I'm screwed if I keep hearing about it more than a month and I right. haven't addressed it with the plan. Um and I think it's the same as a CEO. If you spend too much time in one function, you need to hire a new leader for that function. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of, of it. I also got a lot more appreciation for CEOs when I, I read Ben's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And I thought, oh yeah, okay. I don't want to be in sales and I don't want to be a CEO. All these things sound, you know, marketing's <laughs> hard, but that sounds worse. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but what you're really speaking to is if you want to be a great leader and you want to keep growing, and your organization keeps growing, you want to hire great leaders underneath you. Because if you don't, guess where that, that those problems are going to fall? They're going to fall right on your lap. And it's not until yes. you go address that problem and maybe have to change out leaders that those types of problems go away. And to your point, you can't be all things to all people, especially as we talked about how marketing's expanded so much in the last like 10 years. You can't be yeah. an expert in every different discipline. So you have to hire great leaders underneath you. And that should be a lesson for any leader that's listening on the phone, right? Yeah. And I find if I'm doing a bunch of tactical work, I'm not doing the strategic work. I'm not looking up. I'm just fighting fire after fire. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get in trouble for this this week, but I'm going to get in trouble for that in three months. I'm I'm focusing on the pain in front of me, but what I need to do is hire right, step back and go, okay, how do I get out of this in three months and not, (laughs) and it was a lot of what I was doing my first year um, at Trip Actions in about six weeks, I hired 20 people. I had 24 open headcount. I had 10 on my team. And they were very B2C focused. We had a great brand, but we didn't have product marketing. We didn't have demand gen. We didn't have any web or systems. And I was hiring leaders and the people on their team at the same time. Because I, I was just, every, every day, my CEO was like, this is broken. This is broken. I'm like, I know, everything's broken. Like, right. I'm like, I'm hiring. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing things. Like, give me, just give me two months or give me three months. I, I, I guarantee I see what you're seeing. I just got to get the people in place. To, to go fix this. And they're, they're not quick fixes. They're fundamental things. We've got to go, we got to bring in technology. We got to bring in process and we got to bring in people. And I mean, I remember I just was given the budget and, and I was like, okay, where's the spreadsheet or the tool? No, no. You just have like, you have, you have 20 million. I know, but how's that broken down or who's tracking it? It was like, no, just create a spreadsheet. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, it's all like, you. It's all up to you. Spending this money. Like we're in, and the, you know, but we put all that in place. But the company, when I joined, was just three and a half years old and mm. had grown really fast in a short amount of time. And so they hadn't brought in process, they hadn't brought in technology. And so they were really outsourcing a lot and had a lot of contractors and just, 
you know, they were going fast. So it was the right time to come in, but I, I definitely already felt like I was behind. In the beginning of the podcast, you said that you have to hire 147 people in marketing. That's a, that's, or, or that's your number. It's a, it's a big number that you're on right now. The sales development team. Yes. Sales development team. Sorry. Let me, how are you going to do that? So like when you hear that number, everybody's banging Johnny and I right now saying, Hey, can you talk to us about accelerating in this marketplace, accelerating recruiting and successful outcomes in recruiting? What are you doing differently that's going to allow you to hit that bogey? Yeah. So, I mean, I've only been in it two weeks, but my sort of outside observations, um, one, we need to create second line leaders and, you know, leaders. So one, and, and you're inclined to, to recruit within, which is, is good and bad. So yes, you can create a leader right away, but if, if they don't have talent and they don't know how to hire, that's a risk. So my, my feedback to the team is we need to hire leaders outside that bring in their people, right? The benefit of hiring me in is I have a good network and I bring a lot of people and and stuff to the table. It's the same. I think you need to hire a big team fast. You know, one, it's the people you bring in. Do they have a good network? Do people want to work for them? Are they going to hire fast? Where's the talent pool? So there's a ton of talent in Austin and Dublin, and a lot of other companies have SDR org. So build that out. So I think that location matters. Train them on the story. Why is our company so much better than everyone else's? You know, we travel and fintech, hot, fun, not infrastructure, right? Who wants to go sell boring security infrastructure? Come to a product you can use. Um, a large addressable market. Who are your investors? Like, what's the talent that's here? All of these things is you're you're forming. Why you need to make sure those managers get that and are hiring. And um, you know, what's the career path? How are you developing them? What do you have in place for them? Um, and, and, you know, going after it and the energy, right? When you go to interview, interview, you need leaders that are energetic, can tell that story that I want to work for you, right? What, what makes you want to work for me? And, and I'm going to go through that and then be prepared because they're going to get two other offers. You need to tell them why those other offers are nowhere near what you've got going on and what you know about that space. Like you're going to educate yourself on a bunch of other companies that you're competing with for talent and then go tell them why that's not, why you think you can uh, best those other companies. That's a really good point. Really good point. Awesome advice. Awesome hey, advice. Hey, Megan, so earlier you said one piece of advice you had was when there's no wind, you better row. So are there any other pieces of advice that you don't commonly hear that you kind of have kept with you, you know, throughout your your career? I would say when hiring leaders and people, you know, by usually by the time I'm talking to them, someone else has already checked their domain or academic evidence. And I can ask one or two questions and know right away if they know what they're talking about. And so I'm spending more time on, are they what I need in the team from a solve, you know, everywhere you go, there's problems. I need people who can come in and we change all the time. Like our, our environment is constantly changing. So there's always new problems, something we've never done. New competitor makes a move. So I want to hire people who can solve problems really fast and don't always come to me to do it. 
And so I want to know why they're, why they're, why they don't like their existing company. And I'll ask, why do you like where you're at? Why do you not? And if any of their answers have to do with, well, I don't get enough budget. Nobody listens to my idea. I couldn't get this done. I'm like, well, I don't want you to come here because you're never going to have enough budget. Nobody's going to listen to your idea. Like if you can't get the rest of the people to do what you want, then you're probably not a good leader. And it just, and it's not because they report to you. I need you to be able to get people who don't report to you and other orgs who are fighting for the same budget to agree. And so I'm trying to figure out right away if you're a victim mentality or if you're going to go problem solve. Because the people on my team that I can just hand something to and they go solve it, I love them. And I will give them stuff all day long and I will promote them because They're not coming to me with all the problems and no solution where now I'm like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, I got to go solve it myself or find someone else who can solve it. You're useless to me, right? I'm going to develop you in areas, but I also need to know that you're, you're going to like go slay this stuff. Right. You're going to keep developing. You're not, like you said, not a victim mentality where when you hear those things in an interview, like you outlined, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never that they take ownership. And accountability. And they have that, you know, I'm just going to get it done attitude. It's a completely yes. different way in which people answer those types of questions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Such such great advice. Uh, Johnny, do you want me to summarize? It's hard to do because there's so know, many golden nuggets Megan, here. Man, so many golden nuggets in there. This is so, amazing. Yeah, Johnny, we, can you try to summarize? I, I'm going to give it a try, uh, Megan. Uh, we started with the first quote, which I have written down. It really sums my experience with you and your company. Uh, in, in the middle of that, the power going out and you not even missing a beat. Um, if there's no wind row, I do have a suggestion for you. Um, the book that you're going to write in the future, if you haven't already done it, it's going to be called The Great, Pan- the Great Pandemic Pivot. Um, I do think that that's one of the greatest business stories of a pandemic pivot I've ever heard. But you narrowed it down for me and you said, look, we focused on our customers first, our employees. Um, and then we were really, really smart with our cash. And uh, I, I know there's just so much more to that story. I caught something you said that really resonated for me in, this, in these times that we're in. There's limited loyalty online. So if you're leading out there and you're leading online, it doesn't mean, you know, if you can't get into a country, I mean, you're coming to us right now from Dublin, which says, you know, everything about you and your company. Uh, But um, be careful if you're trying to drive loyalty online with your employees. The smartest reps come to me by someone I know. That is such a golden nugget about how to make warm calls versus cold calls. On the PLG topic, you talked about self-serve plus direct, and you need to have both. And then your advice around product market fit, high NPS, fighting in the market uh, for the bigger uh, for the bigger players and the bigger plays. And you had a quote where you said, take the market. You got to have a strategy to be able to go after the big dollars, which <clears throat> lie in the mid-market and the enterprise which I thought putting that all together on that topic of PLG is just so, so powerful. You talked about the mindset of the CMO uh, and the partner with the CRO, and it goes both ways. We have a lot of CROs to listen to, that listen to this uh, podcast as well, and it's the exact same advice that we would give them 
is that you got to have, you got to go find that great partner in the CMO and it's your responsibility, both ways of responsibility. And then you kind of highlighted it off for us with those leadership, with those leadership highlights. I love that I wrote down hire wealth, hire for your weakness, hire leaders with networks, uh, train them on your story, have energy. And I just put in parentheses, if you're not excited about the opportunity, why should I be? Um, which is really awesome. And then the great, I love it. You're looking for problem solvers, not victims. So be a problem solver. You're either the, you're either the hero in your story or you're a victim. So those are awesome takeaways. We, uh, we, um, again, Johnny, another, I just example. want to add thing as a leader though, Megan Please. has that attitude also, right? When yeah. everything collapsed at trip action, she went to work. She didn't say, Oh, woe is me. Like how, what are we going to do? I'm going to throw my hands up in the air. Megan could have got a job, you know, in the next day at almost any, you know, software yeah. company in the world. Right. But she chose to bear down as a leader and she emulates that probably with her people. So you know, kudos. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Hey, Megan, would you allow us to just do kind of a rapid fire that we do at the end here? Just asking some fun questions. And, and um, so I'll just, I'll just kick it off with ideal day off of work. Sitting in the sun, poolside, oceanside, just like feeling the warmth of sun. (laughs) Any particular region in the country that, or, excuse me, in the world that would be I mean, more appealing to you? I love Cape Cod in the summers. Um, if I'm California, Santa Barbara, but honestly, anywhere where I could just like feel the vitamin D. <laughs> awesome. You're not, you finding that, you're not finding that in Dublin right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> Wasn't my experience either. <laughs> uh, we go almost every summer. We really? go um, wow. either awesome. to Chatham Bars Inn or Wekwaset. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful down there. Yeah. Do you have a favorite meal? Italian. Anything Italian. Anything Italian. That's awesome. I love fettuccine Alfredo. Very good. That's a good one. How about best concerts you ever been to? Ooh, I'm like an eclectic mix of country and, you know, of Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses, Alan Jackson. And now I have young girls, so I just went to Bieber. Uh, and Taylor Swift. So I, I've got like a mix, but I like country. You just named John McMahon's um, uh, list that he makes me listen to on the golf course. <laughs> all of those, Megan, depending upon how we're oh, playing, good. he does good. all of those. Well, let's be clear. There's no Justin Bieber on that. <laughs> okay. I, you should go. You should go. <laughs> hey, to end it on a, uh, on a serious note, one of our favorite questions is, Megan, do you have a favorite charity and why? Yeah. You know, right now, of course, uh, we're focused on uh, Ukraine and uh, UNHCR. So it's the United Nations High Commissioner Refugees. Mm-hmm. And what we've actually done is we, we created a site where you can donate direct. We give you all the places to donate, but also people can donate their travel credits. So Ooh. we sent a list out to all our customers. We got mm-hmm. approval from our customers to, in, to email their employees and they get rewards when they save the company money and they can use that for travel or they can donate it. And so we've seen a really uh, amazing response from people donating those uh, credits. Well, if you're up for it, um, we'd love to share that link. If it if it's not just uh, your customers or 
we'd love to share that link and uh, and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, UNHR. Yeah, uh, it's benefit. tripactions.com forward slash yeah. Ukraine. We'll take you right to it. That's perfect. That's perfect. Hey, Megan, I'm going to let Johnny wrap us up here oh, and Megan. say the goodbyes on his end. But I really, really appreciate you tons. Much respect to you and, and all of your executive team. And thanks for joining us. Thank you Megan, for having me. You're so freaking impressive. What an amazing job you've done at Trip Actions. And I've always admired what you did at MongoDB. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very, very grateful that you come and join us. So. Thanks again. Really appreciate it, especially doing it from Dublin. Thanks so much. Anytime. I'm happy to. Well, awesome. And thank you to our listeners for listening to Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 